Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're going to be talking about an interesting subject uh, uh, which is not usually talked about and it's the subject of silence, the song of silence to be more specific. Why do all the great spiritual leaders down through history and many of the present day teach of silence and stillness? Why is silence even a thing? Aren't we supposed to be working hard, striving after righteous life? Aren't we supposed to be working hard to serve our brothers and sisters? Aren't we supposed to be doing the work of growing at all times? Why do they talk about stillness, about silence, about effortless effort? Well, perhaps it's because silence or stillness is the answer to everything. You want to stay here for this today. So we hear that all the time, and people talk about that particularly with regard to meditation, but it's not just in meditation that we, we get to a place of silence. It's, it's in our daily, everyday lives that we can get there as well. Um, and what does that mean? What does silence mean? Does it mean I shut up? Does it mean I stop talking? Does it mean that I, that I don't have anything worthwhile, worthwhile to say? Does it mean I let people abuse me and never speak up for myself? What does silence mean? Well, I would say that we're going to have to go to some of the other religions to find out what they mean by silence. So let's start off with the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, one of the things that the Bhagavad Gita says is, For those who have attained the summit of union with the Lord, the path is stillness and peace. So we got two uh, very opposite kinds of thinking right there in that one sentence. They've attained something. That means work, right? And they've attained the summit of union with the Lord, which is the highest potential any human being could have. It's the summit of union with the divine, however you see the divine. But the path to that is not hard work. It's not changing yourself. It's not working to be a moral person. It's not working hard to live a righteous life. It's No, it's none of those things. The path is stillness and peace. So though we have attained something, We've done it through stillness and peace. So that's our first really important thing to understand. That there, there's not a lack of attainment in this stillness. There's not a lack of attainment in this silence. But there is a, a path that is made of stillness and silence and peace. So... I don't know whether how familiar you are with the Bhagavad Gita, but the story is that uh, this character Arjuna is having a, a a conversation with Krishna, and he's learning throughout the whole book that Krishna is the divine is represents the divine self, and the divine self is the aspect of each human being that is divine, and it is the and if we can. What the Bhagavad Gita is trying to convey is that if we can ever attain to that summit of union with that divine self, then we are are literally run by the divine self. Just like Jesus said, I can do nothing in my own initiative, but the Father does it. Basically is what he said. That's not a direct quote. It's a paraphrase. 
but uh, he's saying that the Father does these things through me. And and that is the same thing that's being said in the Bhagavad Gita, that there is a divine self that does things as us. We are that divine self, and, and it performs accordingly. So Ar- Arjuna has asked Krishna to explain how he, Krishna, as absolute God, exists within creation. Within creation, key words. And Krishna answers, I am, and I am the silence of secrets and the wisdom of the wise, the secrets of the mysteries and the knowledge of those who comprehend them. So those secrets that we have, those mysteries that we have, that we can't understand, you know, a lot, a lot of times I'll go outside at night and just look around at the stars and the moon and the trees and hear the sounds of either summer or winter, the silence, the very deep, astounding, powerful, profound, peaceful silence of winter that I love. I go out there and I listen to that and I watch what's going on and I look up at the moon and I think, what a mystery that has been to us for centuries and centuries and centuries. What a mystery. We've had one person land on the moon who said it was a giant step for mankind, but we haven't made any more steps since then. Uh, you know, we've got this movement going on now, but but we haven't made any significant steps toward really understanding more about the moon since that time in 1969, which I remember vividly. Uh, and uh, so it's still a mystery to us. We've got a... a, a a robot on Mars right now, and it's because Mars is a mystery to us. These these are just, you know, mysteries that are in the physical world. There's so many more mysteries that are in the spiritual world, and and silence is the knowledge of our comprehension of that of those mysteries. The secrets of the I am the silence of secrets and the wisdom of the wise. The secrets of the mysteries and the knowledge of those who comprehend them. So basically what that's saying is that our comprehension doesn't come from understanding mentally, intellectually. Although, you know, science does a lot for us. Science does a lot in terms of helping us understand the mysteries of physical reality. And science is just beginning on the edges of understanding that physical reality is also a kind of maybe what I would call spiritual reality in that what is solid is not really solid. It is also um, made up of a molecular structure so infinitesimal that it can't be measured. And so we are physical beings, but we are also spiritual beings at the same time. And so every piece of matter is the same. So science is beginning to help us understand a quantum reality that we could not have understood without science. So we need science. I, I'm not casting any aspersions whatsoever on science. On the other hand, there are mysteries that are beyond science, or at least at this stage, it's beyond science. It might not forever be, but right now it is. And that, and those mysteries are the, the, the silence of secrets. And we don't comprehend those through intellectual understanding. We comprehend those through silence, through sitting in the stillness. He goes on to explain 
that I am the Atman. Krishna goes on to explain, I am the Atman abiding within all beings, and I am the beginning, the middle, and the end of beings. An Atman is a divine individual, the real self. So he's saying, I live inside of human beings. And he's describing himself as uh, the real self, the, the, what I would call the authentic self. That's my language for it. And he's saying that I exist inside of you. And perhaps, perhaps we're getting a little bit of understanding here that maybe that, that Atman that lives inside of us is a kind of stillness, is a kind of silence. But let's look further. So, uh, Paramahansa Yoga compared the silent stillness to an unflickering flame to which the winds of delusion would not respond. So we know that in the Hindu faith, and as well as some other faiths as well, there uh, there is this idea that uh, Mata is is the world that we know it, the world that we understand where there's all this evil stuff going on and all the you know money matters and the economy and people struggling for food and things like that, that's all d- part of the delusion of life. Whereas the reality of life is in the Atman, in the divine self. And so he compared the silent stillness to an unflickering flame to which the winds of delusion would not respond. So what that means is, when I go into that divine self, when I go into that place within me, I am so still that that stillness cannot be moved. That stillness cannot be moved. Um, I have, uh, on some occasions, attained to that place, and it felt literally like I physically could not move. Now, I didn't feel trapped, it was very peaceful, so it wasn't a paralysis of any sort, but it just, there just was no movement in it. And I, it was extremely peaceful and extremely comforting and extremely aware at the same time. So, and that was a st- in a state of meditation. I don't always attain to that, so I don't mean to sound like I'm, I've arrived at some kind of place where I am uh, in that unflickering flame all the time. That's not true. But it is true that I have a, I have been able to to get there at times, and uh, so when we arrive there, it's a place, not a literal place, not a physical place, but a place in the psyche, a place inside of us, where we can sit and not and just not move, and everything is okay, and everything is quiet, and everything is still. And yet there's this amazing awareness inside of us that we're aware that we're totally connected to the divine at that moment. So that's what Paramahansa was talking about. And so we, we come to understand that this might be the divine self. This place of unflickering flame might be the divine self that the, the Bhagavad Gita was talking about. In Islam, silence is considered to be one of the first stages of worship. So we arrive at silence first and worship second. 
Um, and that, and I think that's a fantastic idea because what it says is I, I need to be in my authenticity. I need to be in the deepest essence of who I am. I need to be in my divine self, however you want to phrase that, in order to, to, be, to truly be able to worship. One of the things Jesus said was there will come a time when people will worship in truth. And that's, I think, what he's talking about. Um, and he also said at one point, not until these buildings come down will you see these things. And people have interpreted that literally to mean, well, well the, build, the temple will come down. But I think it's much more metaphorical. And it means not until we stop worshiping in places, in buildings, do we find real truth in worship. So Rumi, who was a Sufi, is uh, a, a, a member of the Islam faith, but it was a Sufi. He, t- he tells us, and that's this, the Sufi uh, religion is a mystical aspect of Islam. Um, and he tells us to let silence be the art we practice. We practice silence. Now, why would a person who's trying to attain something practice silence? Why would we do that? Why would we not speak up for ourselves? Why would we not have something to say out there? Isn't that so much of what we're getting today? That We need to be out there pushing our agenda, telling people what we think, speaking up for the right thing, speaking up for Black Lives Matter, speaking up for women's rights, speaking up for gay and lesbian rights and transgender rights, speaking up, speaking up, speaking up. I wonder, is there a way to do that speaking up? which I believe in. I believe in speaking up, too. I have done some on this show. But is that also, does that, is that an opposition to silence? Or could it possibly come from silence? If silence is the art we practice, then the practice is silence, and the result is speaking up. So we speak up from that deep place inside of us that is the divine self that uh, Arjuna was speaking to Krishna about. Krishna was speaking to Arjuna about. And st- we know that stillness in meditation is, is, is emphasized in Islam. So we, we, we see this in all, most of the world's religions. I haven't studied every religion, but the ones that I have studied I can see that this thing about silence and stillness is an important aspect of each one of these religions. It's also found in Christianity. I'm going to give you some of the Bible verses that talk about that. In 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, we hear the story of Elijah who was hiding on the mountain because people were after him. And I'm not going to go into the depth of that story, but he's calling out to God. And uh, God tells him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the story goes on after that, that he answers that question and begin, that he begins this conversation with the Lord. So what's happening there is 
the sound that he was looking for was in smallness, was in stillness. The, the speech of the Lord was not in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. It was not in these big, gigantic things. Isn't that what we look for? We look for some big thing to show us the truth when really the voice is right here inside of us and it knows what to do. We need to listen. So uh, so that's what happened with Elijah. That's one of the things that we know about Elijah. David, who wrote the Psalms, says, Be still and know that I am God. That's in Psalms 46.10, if you want to look up that, that verse. And that's an interesting phrase because, again, there's two opposite things in there. There's a being still and then there's a knowing. We think that knowing has to come with intellectual endeavor. It has to come with, with, uh, with this great effort to understand things, that we have to read lots of books and understand things from a different perspective. We need to study all the world's religions. We need to, uh, we need to uh, uh, study mathematics and science and uh, religion and philosophy, and we need to just know all these things before we can know that I am God. But really what it's saying here is that knowledge comes from stillness. People talk about meditating and getting a download where you just have this new information about yourself, about life, about the divine. You understand things on a whole different level than you understood them before. And that knowledge, that knowing comes from being still. The other interesting turn of phrase here in this Psalm 4610 is that it says, be still and know that I am God. Well, who is that I am there? Is it God saying, uh, be still and know that I am God? Or are we saying it to ourselves, be still and know that I am God? And we're left with that mystery. I think it's both. I think we're saying that God is saying, be still to know that I, I got this. I'm, I'm in charge. I got this. But I think it's also saying, be still to know who you are as God. So it's, it's a very interesting, mysterious statement that we can just think on and think on and think on and use in meditation and, and find real meaning in. Um, so being still, what does that mean? Does it mean sit down and shut up and don't move? What does it mean? Find that inner place inside of you where it already is still. Where even if the wind blows, the fire, the flame is not disturbed. Is that the place where we find stillness? Because if it is, then we can know that we can know the power of God through that stillness. Just like Elijah knew, he he came to know after he heard the still small voice. He couldn't know before that. He couldn't know with the wind. He couldn't know with the earthquake. He couldn't know with the fire. But he came to know with the still small voice. And then he could have a conversation. Have you ever had a conversation with the divine? Did the divine talk back or was it just you talking in in a monologue to the divine? That's an interesting question, don't you think? Maybe it comes in a still, small voice and we need to be quiet and still so we can hear it. All right, we're going to talk some more about this right after this break. Stay tuned for more. It's your world. 
motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the song of silence. So what we're discovering as we've, as we've talked today is that there is a secret place inside of us where there is stillness. And we can find that place. And sometimes it takes meditation to find it. And sometimes we just become aware of it spontaneously. What we've discovered is that in several of the world's religions, there are, there are teachings about stillness and peace uh, the first one we talked about from the Bhagavad Gita was that for those who have attained the summit of union with the Lord, the path is stillness and peace. And what we said about that and what continues to be said as we go uh, throughout different religions is that, uh, that our attainment is not through effort. It's not through work. It's not through intellect. It's not through the powers of the ego. It is through stillness and peace. So we attain through stillness and peace, and we find that same exact truth in the Bible verses that we were talking about just before the break, that we could be still and know that I am God, that either I am God as a divine self, or that God is God and has all the power. Either way you look at that, it means the same thing, that we're safe and taken care of, and, and we can do that, we can get that, we can attain that kind of safety through stillness. Um, Psalm 62.5, as we're going to go carry on and just to give them a few more verses from the Christian text before we just talk about stillness and silence. It says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. It did not say, work hard and, and, and you know, do all the hard work and then God will finally bless you. 
It said, my soul finds rest in God. That's the kind of stillness we're talking about, a kind of rest. Um, Jesus talked about giving all of our sorrows and problems to him because he had broad shoulders and could take care of it. That's a big, broad paraphrase there. But he talked about that, you know, we, we didn't have to carry those problems. He also talked about trusting that, it, that, that if we put the kingdom of heaven first, then the rest would be taken care of. That's in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So finding rest in God is what we're talking about here. There is no law that we're supposed to perform and obey to, although, you know, there's certain, certainly rules. And Jesus said the main law was that we should love ourselves as, love, love others as we love ourselves, love God with all our hearts and minds and souls. So, but how does that happen? Later, we learn from Paul in the letter to Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, that there are gifts of the Spirit. And the first of those gifts is love. That's how it happens. It happens within us as a result of God's work within us. It's a work of grace. It's not a work of, uh, of our own pushing forward to try to be good, righteous, moral, upstanding people. We don't get there by striving. That's the message of today. If you don't hear anything else I've said today, hear this. We don't get there by striving. We get there through stillness. We get there by resting in God because our hope comes from Him. And however you refer to God, that's the psalm from the Christian, from the uh, Jewish uh, text, the Old Testament, uh, from the Christian text, and it, and it says that we find our rest in the divine however you think of the divine. And our hope comes from the divine, not from our work, not from our ego, not from trying, striving, trying to get there, not from intellect, not from pushing, but from, from just being still, resting in God. Here's one that's really, really clear from Exodus 14, 14. Now, this is early. Exodus was early in the history of the Jewish uh, religion. And it says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, you can't get it much clearer than that. It basically says the battle isn't yours to fight. It belongs to the Lord, however you see the Lord. Uh, Charles Fillmore, the author of the uh, uh, Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, says that when we see the word Lord in the Old Testament or the New Testament, we need to replace that with the words I am. So the I am will fight for you. You need only to be still. The I am is that place described really clearly in the Bhagavad Gita as the divine self. Jesus refers to that in his root language in several different ways. And that's a whole different show. We could talk about that. But he, he talks about that I am several times. And he even uses it in I am the way, the truth, and the life. And people interpret that to mean, literally, to mean that he's saying Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. But actually, he's saying the I am is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, he's saying this divine self that lives inside of us is going to do the fighting for us. We need only to be still. That's, like I said, crystal clear. That's in Exodus 14, 14, if you want to run, look it up in your Bible. Um, so... What are we doing here? If we're not fighting our own battles, 
speaking our own speak and, and, you know, standing our own stand and doing the work of our jobs and doing the hard work of raising our kids and, and being political advocates and being smart people who know, make right decisions. If we're not really doing that, what are we doing here? What is the point? Well, the point is to trust that, it, that we are in, an, in a dance of energy with the divine, where it's effortless effort, where what we do, just like Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own initiative. Now, how does a person live without operating out of their own initiative? They live by the power of the source, the Father. When you translate that word Father, it means source. They live by the power of the source within us. So that power does the work through me, as me. I don't have to do the work. I don't, my ego doesn't have to do the work. My intellect doesn't have to do the work. My strength doesn't have to do the work. My power doesn't have to do the work. The work is done through me as me by the divine in me. And I'm in, a, I'm in an energetic dance with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm still here. My ego is still here. But it's not taking the lead. It's resting in, in like it said, yes, my soul will find rest in God. My ego is resting in God, and the work is being done by the divine in me. So here's another one that's really clear in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Hello. Can't be any clearer than that. There's a battle going on, right? And it seems to me that if I don't fight in this battle, I'm going to get dead. So I better be fighting in this battle. But that's what he, he says exactly the opposite. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. There it is, crystal clear. We don't have to fight this battle. We can trust that the divine in us is doing the work for us as grace. Paul talked about, you know, in Romans, uh, he talked about uh, surrendering, making the sacrifice of giving our mind and body over to God so that we would be transformed. Not that we would transform ourselves, but we would be transformed. And uh, so what we're saying here is that the battle is there. There's certainly lots of battles to be fought on this planet right now. People are hungry. People are still trying to get water in Texas. People are uh, being oppressed all over the world, including right here in the United States. Uh, trans people are being killed secretly, being murdered all over the United States. There's lots of battles to be fought right here in the United States. We saw a terrible thing happen on January 6th when the Capitol was, uh, they had an insurrection on the Capitol. There are things that need to be done, but these, we do not need to fight in this battle. We are to stand firm, hold our position, and see the salvation of the Lord on our behalf. That's crystal clear. It says again in that, in that same verse, it says, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. 
Now, there's several times when we hear about the Lord being with uh, someone in the, in the text of the Old Testament of the, of the Christian Bible um, and the Tanakh of the Jewish Bible. It, it's, it's, it's talking about um, God being with someone. In the story of Joseph, we hear that God was with him when he was in jail. God was with him, and therefore he was able to interpret the dream of the, of, of the cupbearer, who then was able to tell the Pharaoh about the dream that God interpreted, who then asked for Joseph to come to see him and let him interpret his dream. And then because he interpreted the dream so well, he became second in command over the entire country of Egypt. And so the Lord was with him. What does that mean when the Lord is with me? It says in Psalms 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What does that mean when the Lord is with us? Um, whether you th- however you think of the Lord, whatever you think the divine is for you, what I think that means, and you get to decide for yourself what it means, I think we sh- I should do a study on this, and I, I probably will. But it, uh, what it means is that the Lord is operating as me. Just like Jesus talked about again, I can do nothing of my own initiative, but the Father does it. So basically what, what is being said here is that when the Lord is with me, the Lord is in me, the Lord is as me. The work is being done in me, as me. Um, Here's another one. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not for yourself over the one who prospers in his way or over the man who carries out evil devices. We Over the past four years, there were lots of us in this country, over 80,000 of us who actually voted this time, who, who were very concerned about the man who carries out evil devices. We were very concerned about that. We were very worried about that. But here we're being told, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't worry about the man who carries out evil devices. So in other words, we're waiting on God. We're waiting on the divine. We're waiting on uh, Krishna. We're waiting on Atman. We're waiting on the divine self to do the work that needs to be done through us. And then it goes on to say, but those who hope on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's in Isaiah 40, 31. So we hear that also translated not just as those who hope in the Lord, but those who wait on the Lord. We hear it translated that way as well. So, what does that mean? If my hope is in the Lord and not, not in my own efforts, then my strength will be renewed. I will have powers I didn't know I had. I will run and not go weary. I will walk and not be faint. And so what we're hearing there is that there is a power within me that is not of my, my identity. The way I think of it is my identity. A lot of people talk about it as ego. I think of it as identity because my identity is one in which I have decided who I am based on my upbringing, based on projections I've interjected, based on the, the, the demands that were made of me when I was a child. And I've decided who I am based on that. And I've lived that out as who I am. And I think it's who I am. But there's another me in there, a divine self, uh, uh, an authentic self, 
who has maybe been pushed into the back closets of my experience. So I don't really let it come out much and, and live much. But that, that person, it could get me to a place of rest. That person can get me to sing the song of silence. That person can allow me to be in the breath, breathe the breath of the divine within me. As I breathe in and out, I'm breathing the breath of the divine within me. And that is how we hope in the Lord, because the effort that's being made is being made by the divine in me, not by that identity, not by that person that I think is who I am, but isn't really me. And eventually what happens when I live in the divine self is that I begin to, to integrate that identity into the divine self so that it carries it. It, it carries it. It doesn't push it away and tell it it's bad or tell it it shouldn't be there or any of that. It just carries it. But the energy, the work that's being done is being done by the divine in me. And that's, you know, that's just opposite of what we hear so often in our, our the, the religion that's out there very prominently in the Western world of the United States right now. We hear a lot of talk about God punishing people for being gay. We hear a lot of talk about laws and rules and how some people are immoral and other people aren't and some people are more righteous than others. And, and we hear a lot of talk about how women ought to be submissive and we hear a lot of talk about how rape is even an act of God and how, you know, we just hear all these extremist views that are real literal views about, uh, the, about morality. And here's what I want us to convey. Morality is not spirituality. Morality is morality. And, and it has its place. But it is not the same as spirituality. Spirituality is this allowing God to fight the battle. This allowing the divine to do the work in you. This allowing at man to do the work in you. To be the effort. To, to, put, to, to be the initiative that Jesus talked about. That's spirituality. And when we live in that place, where we live in that place where Paramahansa Yoga said that the flame could not be moved by the wind of delusion. When we live in that place, we live in peace. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what's happening in our world, we don't have to be worried about the man who prospers in his way. We don't have to be jealous of him because he's got all this money we don't have. We don't have to look at uh, Bezo, Bezos or uh, some of the other very wealthy, wealthy people out there. We don't have to look at them and be jealous and wish we had what they had. We don't have to look at the man who's carrying out evil devices. We can just be at peace because our hope is in the divine. And we're waiting patiently for the divine to act. We'll say some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you have executive function challenges? Actually, these are a lot more common than you would think. These challenges include 
time management issues, organization, planning, focusing, memory, and problem solving. If this sounds like you, you'll want to check out Focus on Success. With Fazia Costi, you'll hear from professionals that offer advice based on their expertise and provide solutions to improve your life. Focus on Success can be heard Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the Song of Silence. So what we've said so far is that several of the world's religions uh, teach about silence. They teach about stillness. They teach about about someone that lives inside of us who does the work for us. And I go back to the original thing that I got from the Bhagavad Gita. For those who have attained the summit of union with the Lord, the path is stillness and peace. And again, I, I repeat, especially for those who have just now turned it, tuned in, there's an attainment there. There's an actual, I've gotten to this summit, and that sounds like lots of work, right? You think about climbing this Mount Everest, right? And there's lots of work there and lots of maybe even suffering there. But those who have attained that, union with the Lord, the summit of the union with the Lord, the path is stillness and peace. They didn't take the path of striving and working and suffering and agonizing and worrying and all of that. They didn't take that path. That's not how they got there. They got there through stillness and peace, but they still attained. We're so afraid in the Western world that we're not going to attain. We're so afraid. We're not going to get all the things that we need. All the relationships, all the, all the money, all the jobs, all the houses, all the cars, all the material things, and all the emotional things that we need. We're, ju- we're just so afraid we're not going to get it. So we just keep on working and working and working and trying to get it and trying to get it. Sometimes we get it and sometimes we fail and sometimes we fail and then get it and sometimes we get it and then fail. But all of that is made of striving. This is saying... That if you want to attain to the summit of the union with the divine, and isn't union with the divine the ultimate goal? It is for me. I don't know about you, but it is for me. The ultimate goal for me is to attain union with the divine. And what that means to me is not that I'm really separated now from the divine. 
because I don't believe that we are. There's several verses in the Christian, the Old Testament and New Testament of the of the Christian Bible and in the Jewish Tanakh that say that we cannot be separated from God. There's just no way. Wherever we go, there He is. There God is. He, she, it, whatever, however you want to look at that. Um, so if that's true, then what do I mean by attaining summit, the summit of union with the, 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 the divine? Well, I mean becoming conscious of it. You see, we live in a world of duality where we believe we're separate from the divine and we're separate from each other and we're separate from all things in matter and we're separate, 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 separate. Living alone, lost sometimes in our aloneness and, and despairing sometimes of that aloneness. So when we do that, when we believe that, we act as, accordingly. We act in that delusion that Paramahansa Yoga was talking about, the winds of delusion, when he said the silence, uh, he compared the silent stillness to an unflickering flame to which the winds of delusion could not, would not respond. There's, there's the winds of delusion out there, and that delusion is that we are separate from the divine, that we're separate from each other, that we're separate from all matter, that we're just alone out here trying to figure out how to survive, just duking it out with life, trying to survive. That's the delusion. The reality is we are already one with the divine. That's the reality. That's what Jesus said to us. Does not your scripture tell you that you are God's? And he was quoting from Psalms when he said that. So it's in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible and the New Testament. And it's in the Jewish Tanakh. So when we talk about the uh, the Atman from the from the Hindu religion, we're talking about the Atman abiding within all beings. And, it's, and he said, I am the beginning, the middle, and the end of beings. So in other words, that we already are divine. We just don't know it. And that is where we come to that stillness. That's the stillness, that, not, that knowing that says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That I am a divine being. I have not lost my divinity. There's a passage in Psalms that says that God made us a little lower than the angel. But actually it says God made us a little bit lower than God. And uh, so we are in the flesh. We are in that special place. But we still have the divine energy. We still have that divine energy. And we can live in that reality, or we can choose to live in the reality of separation. And when we live in the reality of separation, we are going to strive and suffer and and condemn parts of life and live in despair, and we're going to have a hard time. And sometimes there's suffer, uh, at least pain that goes along with with uh, with the life of somebody who is fully aware of themselves as divine. There's pain there but not so much suffering because there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is the feeling of pain. Suffering is the agonizing over the fact of pain. And and we can let go of the pain and experience it, but let go of it and trust in the power of the divine within us to do the work or the effort of healing the pain or doing the work of living with the pain or just doing the work of living while we have, while we are walking through this pain, 
Um, so this is an act of trust. Silence, the song of silence within us. It sings its song to us, and we can hear it through a still, small voice. That song of silence can be heard when we're listening, when we are listening for the stillness and the smallness of that voice. It doesn't come in big fires. It doesn't come in big, you know, earthquakes. It doesn't come in big winds. It comes in the still, small voice. And if we listen, we can hear it. And so listening very often means meditating. It means we have to get to a quiet place and just be still enough to hear what's going on inside of us. People so often think that meditation is this uh, a way of stopping the mind from thinking. Just the mind has to be not thinking at all in order for us to be meditating. But I disagree with that definition. I know someone who meditates by playing the piano. Um, and that gets him into a place of stillness where he can actually hear the divine talking to him. Um, I know other people who who, med- who meditate while running. That the, the running by itself allows them to let go. It's a little bit like a psychic who, who scribbles while they're hearing from the, from the their spiritual guides. They're, they're, they're scribbling so that the body is distracted. At least this is my interpretation of it. They might have a different interpretation. But they're scribbling so that the body is distracted while the mind or the mind and the spirit can listen. And so... Uh, that's some people run while they meditate. So there's finding your way of getting to the stillness is going to be very important. Just like you have to find your way into a career, just like you have to find your way into a marriage. It's, it's a real individual journey, not a separate journey, but an individual journey where you are allowed to uh, become more of who you are because you've made choices that fit your divine self and so that that's that gets us to the silence every time we get to a place where the divine self or the authentic self is is being lived out we we attain to a, a little bit of that stillness we're just quieted and we're calmed and we're we're just attaining to that summit where we're in union with the divine for a little bit may not stay there may not consciously stay there but we definitely arrive there each time we live into the authentic self. So, uh, so it's important to understand that you know, as it as we said about Islam, uh, silence is considered to be one of the first stages of worship. Silence is actually the first stage of everything that's really accomplished. Any attainment that's true attainment is accomplished through the divine self working in us as us and everything else is nothing everything else is nothing anything that we do from our from the from the identity or the ego however you want to think about that is is coming from that it's just kind of nothing it just really doesn't amount to anything because it's not real it's not coming from the divine self it doesn't stick you know how people will throw spaghetti noodles up against a wall and when it sticks, it's, you can tell the st- spaghetti's ready to eat. If you've, if you've been around Italians very much, they, they will teach you that. Um, some of them will. The, the really good cooks will. Um, and uh, 
so that's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to see what's going to stick. Um, and if it's done through the divine self, by the effort of the divine self, then it sticks. It lasts. It's written in the book of life. But if it's not, it's just kind of nothing. It just falls away into nothingness. One of the things that was said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 of the New Testament um, is describing love. And it says, if I give my body to the poor until I have nothing, I'm trying to quote it exactly, but I'm probably going to mess it up. If I give my body to the poor until I have nothing, it it means nothing. It amounts to nothing if it does not come from love. And remember we said a little while ago, from the, from, again from the Christian text in the same, uh, same letter to Corinthians, uh, it says that we have fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit come to us by the Spirit. They are fruits of being in the Spirit. They're not fruits of the ego or fruits of the identity or fruits of being a good enough person or fruits of being a highly moral person. They're fruits of the Spirit. And love is the first of those. So love is a gift that comes to us through the work, through the effort of the divine self. It is not something we should do. I say very often that if we put the word should in front of the word love, it ceases to be love and becomes obligation. Love does not need a should. Love operates out of its own impetus. It initiates itself based on its own need to accomplish love. That's the way the divine works within us. It works as itself in itself, for itself, and and it accomplishes what it came to accomplish. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, in, uh, also in the Jewish Tanakh and the Christian Bible, it says that um, nothing will return to God void without accomplishing that with which he sent it to accomplish. So the way I take that is there is no failure in every lifetime, in every incarnation, I absolutely will accomplish what I came here to accomplish. It may be something very small. And maybe I'll have to come back again to do it again so that I can get the next thing that goes with that. But I'm creating a chain, a chain of, of awareness, a chain of consciousness where I become more and more aware of who I am as a divine being, the, the Atman, the divine individual, the real self. Um, and as, as Krishna said to Arjuna, I am the Atman, abiding in all beings, and I am the beginning, the middle, and the end of beings. And what that means is that everything that's actually accomplished is being accomplished by the Atman, the divine in the individual, the divine individual within us, the real self. So when we when we talk about silence, what we're talking about is the accomplishment, the effortless effort of the divine within us to do the work, to do the work. The work that we can't do on our own. The work that's not possible for us to do on our own. No matter how moral we are, we cannot do that work. It has to be done by the divine in us. It has to be done by the divine in us or it amounts to nothing. All right, that's our show for today. We'll be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time 
on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.